Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Welcome Charlotte Schaefer from Schaefer Legal. Is that the name of your company? It is the name of my company. Excellent. You're welcome. So Charlotte is a lawyer that specialises in estate planning. So all that stuff around, you know, wills and powers of attorney and all that type of thing. And I thought she was going to be fabulous for us to talk to today. So good morning to you, Charlotte. I am an estate planning lawyer with a bit of an interest in end of life planning as well, which is kind of goes hand in hand with estate planning anyway. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's that's what I do. Wonderful. So you're based in Sydney, is that right? Yes, I'm based in sunny DY in the yes. Northern Beaches. Okay, very um, good. So yeah, I'm a local lawyer. All right, excellent. I was really interested reading your bio because you talked about genealogy being a big interest to you and can you talk a little bit about genealogy and how that applies to the laws and how you ended up in that space? Absolutely so my interest in genealogy was sort of born from an interest in the family history you know the history of my family who were my ancestors that sort of thing you know and I started talking to you know my mother and you know I became that person in the family and there's often one in the in a family who is kind of the custodian of of you know the information and the special things that that get handed down and yeah so I just that was sort of a of a hobby of mine I did my legal studies and then I sort of just kind of fell into being a lawyer you know without probably thinking too much about what I wanted to do and then yeah then I after about 10 years you know slugging it out sort of commercial banking litigation I was like yeah, no, I think I might switch it up. So I started doing some part-time study in the, in the genealogy just, you know, for the love of it. And then I switched careers and started working in that space and, and a lot of that work involved genealogy research for in, in estate matters. So it typically comes up where somebody has died without a will and I was just actually reading an article just about people regardless of whether there are assets or not when there is no will and you you know family members have to navigate the legal system to deal with you know banks and insurers and all of that but anyway the when someone does die without a will basically you know each state and territory has a kind of a default will that applies and that that is, you know, more or less a, an order of relatives that have an entitlement. So there's a genealogical process of going, right, well, you know, who's, who's the spouse? I mean, spouse is obvious, obvious, children are obvious, but then you start to move into remote, more remote categories, siblings, siblings' children, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and then first cousins. It actually goes all the way through those relationships of kin before the state gets it and to establish who's in that class is a, is a question of genealogical proof so I ended up in that work loved it and that kind of brought me back to the law and I'd sort of thought I was that was it for me in the law but I thought hang on this is an area of law that I like and you know that's about more than you know just slugging it out in the courts about something that didn't think mattered too much or my heart wasn't in it anyway. Yeah. And 
Yeah, and I did some more study and, you know, and, and now I'm practising as a lawyer in, in this space. But still very much, you know, I, I like a learner. I mean, I don't, I feel like I'm more of a lifelong learner type person who's not a full-blown expert, been doing it for 50 years. But, yeah, I'm, I'm into it and dedicated. Yeah, beautiful. And there's a fair bit of difference in the States too with that genealogy thing, isn't there? Like first cousins in New South Wales and it goes further in other states, is that right? Yeah, it can. I think South Australia, it keeps going yeah. you know, until they find people. So sometimes, yeah, that, that can not be very practicable, you know, when you've really got assets that you've got to deal with, yeah, and it can just make for, you know, some huge research projects i used to do some work for the public trustee south australia and yeah some of those old matters just sort of going on down and down and down the line so yeah yeah but first cousins it used to just stop at aunts and uncles and if the person was older yeah it would often end up with the state because if you're 90 your aunts and uncles have predeceased you but first cousins is now that changed in 2010 so in New South Wales, so there's more of a chance that, that relatives will, will inherit. But sometimes if you don't make a will, you know, so for example, I had a sad one where the deceased didn't make a will, didn't divorce, you know, a long estranged spouse, but that spouse survived him. So his daughter who cared for him and, you know, been very close to him all his life, she, she wasn't entitled his estate passed to the surviving spouse who was in the UK who who sort of shortly after that died and then it went to her de facto. Mm, Wow. So, you know, the mind boggles to just think, oh, that's heartbreaking for for that daughter. Yeah, I've been on the other end of that as well with, it's actually my second cousin, he was my dad's first cousin and my dad had died not long before. His cousin hadn't kept a will, he had never been married, had no children and he was my family. He really was my family and I spent Christmases and all that stuff at all the, the events that we'd had in the family, but he died without a will and well, it was turned out that he had a half-brother and sister that he actually didn't know and the entire estate went to them. Now, I wouldn't have got a look in anyway because I was only a second cousin, but it just made me realise how important it is. My mum had known that his mum had been married before and uh, and her, his dad had remarried, but nobody knew much about any of that. But, of course, that genealogy thing was such a big piece of it because I had to sit there and fill in all the gaps that I knew that I'd got from my mother as the custodian of the information, as you said. And it was, it was awful at the time because my a cousin and I were the ones that were always there for him. But he hadn't left a will and that was that. He had his mother as a beneficiary and she'd been dead for 20 years or more. So it's, a, it's an, such an important thing, you know, and that, I don't understand why people don't do it, but there's a lot that don't. Yeah, there is. They, they apparently around sort of 45% don't. And you're right, it, it, can, it can be absolutely brutal like that. And people think that... If they are aware that they have secrets, you know, they might have had children that other people don't know about, all these sorts of things, you know, of course they're very, very private matters, but you might think they go to the grave with you and and don't disturb people. But sadly, yeah, like that, the pros, the job in some cases that I have done is involves, yeah, digging up 
children that people didn't know about, that, that sort of thing. And yeah. it can really unsettle the situation and create, yeah, heartache. Absolutely, yeah, no, no doubt about that whatsoever. That's what happened for us. What happens when you receive a diagnosis that makes you feel lost, isolated and confused about the way forward in life? Let our doulas provide clarity, help you find information and connection and feel empowered in your choices. DoulaConnections.com.au Why do you think 45% of people in Australia would die without a will? Like, what? what is it? Is it just because a lot of them it comes, death comes a lot earlier than they're anticipated or is it just some people can be 80 and still not have done a will? Like, what, what do you think? Look, I have no idea, but I've got some thoughts, I suppose. What's interesting is that that figure hasn't, changed much over the last kind of 100, 150 years, is my understanding. It really, it's not like it's gone up and it's not like it's gone down. Mm. It's been the case. So that's interesting about, you know, for our society and our culture about why that is. But, look, I think it's probably a mix. I think some people just don't care. You do hear it even when I am taking instructions for wills and I might ask certain questions you know, and, and sort of, I guess, encourage clients to consider a scenario, well, they, they might say, look, I don't, I don't care, I'll be dead. And it can be a confronting process for people who are really not interested in considering it, let alone, you know, appointing guardians for their minor children, which is really important that they do in a will. But you know, the very thought that they might leave their children when they're young is just unfathomable. So, it's, yeah. you know, I don't know. I think there's a bit of a mental block. You know, life's really hectic and busy. And, you know, my experience with my clients is that, you know, sometimes they take a fair bit of corralling just because they're juggling so much in their daily lives. Their intention is there to get it sorted. But, you know, stuff's happening and, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. But often it's, an, it's a bad experience that raises people's conscious awareness yeah. about the need and about what it means because, you know, it is about getting you, your wishes in, in a validly legal format and all of that involve, also involves relieving that burden for your, you know, your next of kin who are dealing and, and dealing with their bereavement but, also dealing with all the sort of, you know, machinations of dealing with your stuff and your estate. And, and so, yeah, you, re you really got to think about it from that perspective as well. Yeah. So when lawyers will say or you hear the words estate planning, it's obviously not just a will. What are all the things that a lawyer would do that is covered under the, the, the term estate planning? Yeah, well, that's it. So it's definitely much broader than, than a will. So it's, it's, it's dealing with the documents that are really important on, in the event of death, so what kicks in. So, yeah, that's primarily your will, um, but it also goes hand in hand with that is your superannuation death benefit nomination, so often sort of referred to as your super will, and, you know, every now and then you get a funny, or you know, it's not funny, but like a, a you know, a, a story in the, in the news feed about something that's gone pear-shaped with that, the death benefit nomination, you, you know, because you can't appoint your parents, you can't appoint your sibling. So there's rules around who you can appoint with your super that you need to be aware of. And that's all happening outside your will. So that's not considered a personal asset, anything personal that's in your name only, that's going in your will. But, but your super 
not necessarily unless you want to direct it there. So there's those documents about when you die. And then there's the documents when, you know, and those documents about when you die are, are, are completely dormant until you die. Mm. So they're just asleep waiting for the moment that, that you know, the, the doctor confirms, yeah, this person's died. Up until that point, though, you've got the other documents, which are what, you know, broadly I would describe as your incapacity documents. So that's about substitute decision-making, and that's where, according to the laws of your state or territory, you're nominating the person that you want to make decisions and give directions about your wishes um, and what should happen to you uh, when you can't communicate. So that's all about... um, uh, 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 well, that's all about incapacity, and in New South Wales, that's that's your enduring power of attorney, which is a document that relates to financial and legal decision making only. So, really powerful, important document. And then there's the appointment of enduring guardian, which is your health and medical treatment decision maker so so they're two separate documents in new south wales in other states they're combined so they're the legal documents but enduring power of attorney and the appointment of enduring guardian is sort of prescribed under legislation so they have to kind of follow a format but you can you know put in there important conditions or limitations and directions to kind of guide your decision maker Mm. And those directions can also be made outside those documents as well. You know, one of the documents that I will often suggest clients consider making alongside all these documents is a letter of wishes, um, which is, or a statement of wishes, it's sometimes referred to, and it's not legal, right? It's, but it's, you know, I call it morally binding. It's like this is sort of, you know, these, these legal documents are really like a technical, they're, they're important that they're done a particular way and witnessed in a particular way so they're valid and can work when you need them to work. But then, you know, there might be some more that you want to add to that to guide those decision makers, for example. And you might consider putting a letter of wishes together, which is where you can you know, do a bit of a deep dive and and incorporate some guiding directions to your substitute decision maker. So, and that, and you know, and in that document, you can go anywhere you want. You can deal with all your digital assets as well, what you want to happen there. You can make, do some sort of, you know, gifting as well. You can deal with your funeral, more details around how you want your funeral done, how you want, you know, your body cared for, how you, you know, all sorts of detail. It can be as long as you want. Some people do a full booklet. And, I mean, these things exist around anyway. But I suppose one of my points, I suppose, with that is that I think involving a lawyer in that process when you're sitting down and doing your will and your power of attorney, doing this sort of letter of wishes with a lawyer just kind of helps make sure make sure everything works as a cohesive whole mm. and that and that the client's really clear on you know how is this actually going to work in practice so yeah and then there's the advanced care directive as well which i haven't touched on that's a document in in new south wales that is 
yeah, different again, different state uh, rules in the state, different states and territories. In New South Wales, Yvette's Care Directive is a common law document. There's no fixed form like there is in other states where there's a statutory regime. And sometimes there's both, but that's where you're going to, you, you can get also do some detailed recording about your values and preferences around end of life, withdrawing treatment directions, withholding treatment directions, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a binding document. So if, if that's really clear, that's on your My Health record and you're treating medical team, know what it said, know what it says. You substitute decision maker knows it says knows what it says, you know, and that's really clear. In, and the circumstances are presenting, then that should be followed. It's a binding document. So yeah, so but people can kind of curate their suite of documents in a way that's right for them. And and having regard to how you know are they binding? Aren't they binding? How do I? Mm. What what am I comfortable with as a person about these various scenarios? Mm. And you know, I just think it's so important again because I've had a personal experience where an elderly couple that I look after, and they just said to me, "Oh, well, you can just sell the house when you need to." And I went, "Well, no, I, I can't do I can't do that." You know, and they said, "Well, yes, there's the, the wills there," but I said, "But that's when you're dead. I can't." make any decisions based on your will. That's your will. That's only there when you're dead. You need to go and see a solicitor if you want me to look after your affairs. Um, and so that's what they did. And so they've done all the, those documents that you talked about. But what I've found, and this is also happening to another friend of the family at the moment who, who who's the, uh, the guardian for somebody who's in an uh, aged care facility as well, but the banks are just pushing back when you go in with the guardianship documents. You've got the letter from the doctor, you've got everything there, and then it's happened to me and it's happened to him in the last 12 months where the banks just go, no, we were not accepting that. So what would you do under those circumstances? Because I can't be just him and me. There must be other people having those experiences as well. Oh, look, definitely, definitely. So was that for a, a power of attorney or a guardianship? It was all, again, you know, it, it's because it the people are both the, his his brother and the people that I look after, the capacity is not there. So the document clearly says from the doctor they no longer have capacity and all the documents are signed and done, but the banks won't accept them. Yeah, it, it is definitely a common thing. And, and it's interesting because I'm in a Facebook group that of lawyers, estate planning lawyers, and that issue comes up, you know, people will jump on and, have a bit of a rant about an experience that they've had, a very frustrating experience where they're trying to progress the situation for their clients who are validly authorised. Look, I, I think, you know, what I would recommend is that, you know, be the squeaky wheel and escalate it. You need yeah. a lot of the people working in the banks at the tellers, that sort of thing, they're, they're not experienced, they're junior and they're very risk averse and they don't really understand. So it's almost like you've got to try and get, not to disrespect them, but get in front of a manager or senior manager, someone further up the, you know, food chain who knows what they're looking at and knows what this person's legal rights are. And if you have to get it referred to their legal departments because banks have them, you know, so be it, get it there because yeah. it's definitely, the, it, it, it's an obstructive problem. I think, you know, there's a lot of headbutting before you can make headway. 
Do you already know what you want? Plan now to get your wishes written down and avoid misunderstandings and possible conflict between your friends and family. Your plan will make you feel empowered and give certainty to others when you need it most. DoulaConnections.com.au The other thing I wanted to ask you about was I also know that you've done some training around being an end-of-life doula. I find that really interesting that a a lawyer knows about end-of-life doulas to start with and then thought it was a great add-on to what you do. So where did you hear about it and why did you decide that was something that you wanted to to do to complement your law practice? Look, I think it's, it came from probably, if I'm honest, a fear of death, I think. But knowing that, you know, my time will come where I need to, you know, look after my parents or look after people important to me and not wanting to do a shit job, basically. So... Yeah, my father-in-law died at the end of 2019 and that was, you know, an amazing experience where, you know, yeah, he'd had a long cancer diagnosis and there hadn't really been much direct conversation about, you know, end-of-life plans and any of that. You know what it's like, you sort of respect people's boundaries with that and so we did that but when the time came and, and, you know, it was clear he wanted to get home from the hospital and die at home. And, you know, what what amazed me actually about that experience was no one in that family, you know, I'm sort of the daughter-in-law, so a little bit next to, you know, in the onion ring layers, but no one in that family had any kind of training or anything. But it was like everyone has this capacity to step into this space and do what needs to be done. And that's sort of what happened. And we was down the South Coast and we all sort of headed down there, got him home. You know, everyone kind of slotted into some kind of role where they were confident and, and, and into it. And, you know, I don't know, it was just an incredible experience. I was sort of best friends with the dishwasher and the, <laughs> and the you know, I'm not much of a cook, but, you know, that's, I mean, I was in and out. I was doing lots of, you know, foot massage and stuff like that with Para as well, but I was looking after kids, feeding kids, you know. Yeah, great. They, they got to eat. My husband and his siblings didn't have time for, for, for any of that stuff. So anyway, that was just amazing. And then in May 2020, yeah, I was just sort of, you know, Googling and and I did, ended up doing the, the four-day intensive, one of the early Zoom four-day intensives with Preparing the Way and Helen Callanan's Preparing the Way um, training. Yeah, and I, I think I, you know, I just sort of wanted to open myself up to what that was all about. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And, and I think for me as a lawyer, you know, I definitely want to be very open with my clients if they are open to getting into the nitty-gritty around end-of-life planning. Um, my services won't sort of extend to some of the other end-of-life doula services that other end-of-life doulas will, will provide, but I'm certainly really on board with a really broad, you know, deep-diving kind of pl- approach to planning for people with a diagnosis. and. You know, I'm really keen to collaborate with other end-of-life doulas who are, you know, hands-on in that practical, emotional, like filling all those other gaps space, you know, and just like going shoulder to shoulder with them on caring for this person and getting, getting a really terrific job done with them and for them. 
and their family. So that's kind of what I, how, how, how it sort of comes together for me, the end of life doula skills and training and just feeling, getting more death comfortable, you know, and getting ready to sort of, you know, be the best person I can be for others who are, you know, navigating their end of life. Charlotte, do you think it's changed the way you practice your estate law because you've done some doula training? Like, do you communicate with people differently? Does the energy feel different? Like, what's changed for you since you've done that? I I think I've probably come across fairly authentic. I've got the country train going on and, you know, I'm not good at filtering any of that. And I think that... That either works for people or it doesn't. Yeah. My experience so far is actually, yeah, people who, yeah, are looking for an authentic person do respond well to that. I recently, you know, had a client whose daughter is palliative and she's got a health condition herself. I hope that people look at my profile online, know that I'm, you know, I've got an understanding in that space and they can feel relaxed and open to share with me. So Mm. I do and I will lean into that in the conversation, encourage them to talk about it and I will talk to them about, you know, end of life doors, you know, do the education piece, not just about the law and the documents but about other ways that they can be supported or other members of their family can be supported through, you know, what they're going through. Yeah, so you've got that extra little toolbox of information there that you can provide for people too. 100%, 100 yeah. And I did a will for a bloke who died and, you know, went to his home and, yeah, that was sort of a really special experience for me. It was the first experience of preparing a will for somebody who was who was terminal, very short notice, and he died 10 days after his will was made. But, yeah, just going to his home and I... You know, I, having done the doula intensive, you know, I had some insights about well, what what might help this person and and his wife as well. And just yeah, I think I felt empowered by having done that course to be able to do a better job actually as as a lawyer. My soft skills, although I really don't like that word, I feel like they like it suggest it almost infers like they're not as important the soft skills. By soft skills, I don't mean lesser skills. I mean like the stuff that helps people trust you and yeah. feel like you've got their back. You know, you don't want some sort of arm's length person coming into your home when, you know, you, you've got kids, you, you know you're about to die. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of emotion. It's important that, yeah, you people can just be, if yeah. you know, whether they're in the presence of the lawyer or not. It's almost like a lawyer with heart. You know, like a because we always talk in the doula circle about the doula heart and it being special. And so, you know, you're a lawyer with a doula heart, so it just makes you extra fabulous as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Are you confused about what your tomorrow might look like? Our doulas can guide you towards clarity, peace of mind, and a plan for the future that will give you and your loved ones certainty. Enjoy your time together and minimize misunderstandings. Visit doulaconnections.com.au. So, Charlotte, I've heard a fair bit about these do-it-yourself wills and that I've heard people tell me that if you've got assets or you own a business or, you know, something like that, that they can be more trouble than they're worth. So what's your thoughts on do-it-yourself will kits? My thoughts are avoid them at all costs unless you are absolutely certain you have an incredibly simple situation. They make lawyers a lot of money 
informal will applications, rec rectification applications to court. For example, they're, they're, yeah, like you say, they've got a business, they've got a trust, they've got a, you know, a company, they've got a blended family, they've got minor children, they might have an ex-partner. They've got all sorts of considerations that they don't know about in terms of what the law might say and might be the subject of some advice. And I suppose the reality is you could leave a date off or one signature or something and it's probably useless anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, you need to have two independent witnesses. You need to have your own capacity to make the document assessed. Mm. And if you're yeah. over 70, if I've got clients over 70, then I'm, you know, I'm going to sort of, put them through their paces as far as them understanding what's going on with this mm. document, et cetera. So, um, yeah, you're right. It, it, you know, they might end up with what they call an informal will. Like, it, you know, you can leave a post-it note and say, give everything to Mary. But like I say, then the, someone's got to kind of spend a lot of money pulling together the application to convince the court that that was your last that that is a testamentary intention for a start mm, and mm. that that was your last one. Yeah. All right, Charlotte, well, thank you so much. So if people would like to contact you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Jump on my website, s-c-h-a-e-f-e-r-legal.com.au, hello at schaeferlegal.com.au is my email. You know, I'm an open door, so if people want to give me a call for a chat, Happy to, happy to chat. Thank you so much, Charlotte. I, I really, really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. We hope you found this conversation and information interesting, helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. 